I want to introduce you to a friend of mine named Denise. Now, Denise and I met in our Denominations Theology Commission, which is just as nerdy as it sounds, okay? We were both appointed there, and we served there together, and that's where I got to know her. Denise is passionate about Jesus, the Bible, and especially raising kids and families in faith. She's also funny and caring and has amazing insight into the Bible. And she serves as the spiritual formation pastor at Crossroads Church in Red Deer, Alberta. Originally, she's from the States. And Denise has worked as a writer and an editor with Focus on the Family and David C. Cook Publishing. She has her master's in Old Testament biblical studies. And you'll see all of that passion for the Old Testament come out today in her sermon. Uh, Denise is married to Andrew, and they have three kids, Theo, Jack, and Celia. And she says that she used to have hobbies, but now she just has children. So we're going to be hearing from her today and about how the home can really be used to train and raise and grow faith in those around us. So let's hear from her. Hi, Bethany. My name is Denise, and I am so excited to get to spend some time in God's Word with you today. I'm just sad that we can't be doing this in person, but maybe someday I can come out and meet all of you. When Pastor Andrew told me that you guys were doing this series on being better together, I was really excited. I think all of us uh, feel excited about the idea of being together after our last year or so of being apart so often. But I was also really excited about this because I think this concept is so biblical. All throughout the biblical story, we see that God is working to bring us back into relationship with Him and back into restored relationship with one another. Today, I'm going to focus in on what that can look like for us, especially within our families. A couple of weeks ago in his sermon, Pastor Andrew talked about how family in the biblical sense is actually much bigger than what we tend to think of it in our modern idea of two parents and a couple of kids and a dog. When you talk about family in the Bible, it really is this extended community of people. So as we talk about family today, just know that that includes you. No matter where you're at in your life, what we're thinking about together today is how we, with our kids or with the kids in our lives, can think through what it looks like to form them spiritually, especially as we interact with the scripture. I'm passionate about this topic for a few reasons. The first is that I am a spiritual formation pastor here in Red Deer, Alberta. So I spend a lot of time thinking through discipleship and following Jesus and what that looks like in our practical day-to-day -day lives. The second is that I have spent a lot of time studying the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. And really that's where I started to understand this idea that community really is what helps shape us and form us as we follow the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the biblical story, we see that it's community that helps us to go one direction or the other. And the third reason I'm passionate about this is simply that I'm a mom. I have three kids, ages five, three and a half, and 19 months. So they cause me always to be thinking about what does this look like for me to help shape them into people who hopefully grow up to love the Lord and walk in His way. Today, we are going to turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. So if you have your Bible at home, you can go there with me. We're gonna look at a passage that might be familiar to some of us. And as we look at it, I think, especially today with what we're talking about, it's important to remember that in the biblical story, God chooses a family. He chooses a man named Abraham, and he says that through this family, he is going to commit to them, he is going to, to guide them, and he is eventually going to use them to bless the entire world. 
So we see that as, as the story continues, that eventually what God does is he provides a way of salvation through a descendant of Abraham's family, Jesus. So as we get into Deuteronomy, what we need to remember here is that God has rescued Abraham's family from their slavery in Egypt. He's brought them out of their slavery and they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And now their leader, Moses, is going back over all of the commandments that God has given to these people before they enter into their new land. So we're going to pick up today in Deuteronomy 6, and I'm going to start at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The very words of God. This passage that we read includes one of the most important phrases that we get in all of the Bible. Jesus actually confirms this as, as the most important commandment that God gives, that we are to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And this is such an important commandment we see, especially for the Israelites, because during the time that they lived in the ancient Near East, everyone around them worshipped multiple false gods. It was just what was common. It was actually quite out of the ordinary for Israel to be a community that worships one God and one God alone. And so God knows that as they go into this new land, they are going to face a constant temptation to worship the gods of the culture around them. And they're going to want to incorporate their worship of those gods with their worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And we see as we, as we continue through the Bible that, that Israel fails at this a lot. They, they do fall to this temptation all the time. Now, for those of us today, we probably aren't tempted to worship multiple gods, but we do face a temptation to, to incorporate our worship of God with all of the things around us that tempt us in our culture. And that looks different for each of us. For some of us, it might be maybe that pursuit of a career or pursuit of money that kind of tempts us to um, incorporate that with, with our a commitment to the Lord. For some of us, it could be our politics or some of our opinions that tend to, to creep in there and find themselves level with our worship of God. And probably in non-COVID times, one of the, the most common ones for us would just be busyness, right? We have lots going on in our lives. Our kids have lots of extracurriculars and, and soccer and hockey and all of these things. And sometimes those things can tend to edge out our commitment to God, to our spiritual formation and to his word. So then, how do we stop and actually put this commandment from God to make him Lord and Lord alone and make that the most um, important thing in our lives? The way the Bible tells us to do this is, is just when we continue in that passage. It says that we need to teach it to our children. The Hebrew literally tells us that we need to be repeating it over and over again. And not just through what we say, but also th through what we do. So when we're walking along the road, when we're lying down, when we're in our homes, it's this repetition of the truth about God that eventually sinks into us. And as we teach that to the kids in our lives, it not only helps form them, but it helps form us as well. 
because as we repeat the truth about God, that sinks deep into, into us too. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming to know how to do this well. How do I incorporate um, spiritual formation into my day-to-day -day life? Especially if I don't know a ton about the Bible. If I'm not sure myself, how can I be someone who's teaching it to my kids? And I think about this a lot for me. I, I do know the Bible pretty well, but at the same time, I wonder how do, how do I do this really well with my kids? Am I doing too much with them? Am I doing too little? How do I go beyond just teaching them what the Bible says and actually showing them how I live it out so that it forms them spiritually? So today for us, I'm just going to give us a few suggestions about some things that I think can be really useful as we think about spiritual formation with our families. The first one is this. We need to teach our kids God's big story. Now, this is my soapbox. I talk about it all the time. If you run into me at the grocery store, I'm going to probably start yelling at you about teaching your kids God's big story. I am so committed to the idea that God is telling one big narrative about himself from Genesis to Revelation. And the whole of scripture is actually connected. It's not all these little parts. It's not all these random verses that we pluck out. It's one big story that God is telling about himself. And this is actually really useful for us as we think about spiritual formation, because we are a people who are immersed in story. We are immersed in narrative. It sticks with us. I am, I'm not so proud as to think that later this week, you will probably have forgotten a lot of the points of my sermon as I walk through it with you. But if I came up to you and I asked you to tell me the plot of the last movie you watched, you probably could. You probably could walk through that with me. Stories stick with us and, and they, they go deep in within us. So I think that the, the fact that the Bible is structured as a story is a really powerful thing for our spiritual formation because it helps us to form our identities around the story of God. My husband teaches high school and I would say in the past few years he has dealt so much with kids who are struggling with their identities. They don't know who they are, they're confused about it, and they feel a, a real burden to figure it out. And often it's, often it's something that they feel like they have to figure out on their own. So they're constantly changing things and, and trying to figure out who they are. I think that if we help our families center their lives around God's big story, it forms our identity. And it forms our identity based on who God is and what God has done. We're all going to align ourselves with something. All of us are actually immersing ourselves in some kind of a narrative. And often we find ourselves being immersed in whatever narrative the culture is telling us. So our goal with our kids is actually to help draw them and point them toward God's true story. So that when we process the things going on in our lives, whether it's hurts or joys or relationships with friends, maybe how we respond to COVID restrictions, whatever it might be, whatever's going on, if we help reorient them around God's story, it's going to form their character and help them find their place in what God is doing. So then with our kids, we can talk about how does your story, how do the things going on in your life fit into God's big picture? And as you think about your talents and your gifts, 
How can you use those to advance God's mission? Over and over again, as we live out the story of our own lives, we can be reminded to center it around the big story of God. And this can start really simple. Say you have a young child. I did this with, with my oldest son a while back. My baby was napping and I just sat him down and I walked him through God's big story. I talked about Adam and Eve and, and the beautiful garden God created and how everything was as it was meant to be. I talked about how Adam and Eve then chose to sin. And then I reminded him of how God chose a family. He chose Abraham and he worked through him. We talked about King David and the prophets and we got to Jesus and talked about how Jesus came, showed us how to walk in God's way. And then he died for our sins. He took our penalty upon himself, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And now we have the chance to tell our friends about Jesus. And we get to look forward to the day when Jesus will return and make everything new. So I walked through this whole story with my son and I, I was really excited and really passionate and I, I looked at him and I said, what do you think about God's beautiful story? And he looked up at, at me, he has these really big eyes and he said, mom, can I go watch Paw Patrol now? <laughs> Sometimes spiritual formation doesn't take the way we might want it to with our kids. They might not get it in the moment. But the more that we talk with them about God's big story, the more that we form them and immerse them in the things that God is doing, the more it's going to stick as we start to live out our part in God's story more and more. If you're not sure how to talk through God's story, if you want um, maybe a little more instruction or help with that, we actually have a really good resource and we're going to put it up on your church website. It's called The Drama of the Bible in Six Acts. And it's just a great way to see some of these big plot points throughout God's story so that you begin to immerse yourself in it a bit more and then can talk about it more freely. If you have young kids, there's lots of great resources out there. One that I love that I'm going to recommend is called The Biggest Story. It's by Kevin DeYoung and it has these really beautiful illustrations in it and really talks through the whole of the Bible in, in a great way to help your kids kind of capture the things that God is doing. The next thing I'll recommend is that we spend time in our lives and with our families remembering and celebrating. We read from Deuteronomy today and that book of the Bible talks about remembering so much. Deuteronomy tells us that, that when our kids ask why we do the things we do, why do we go to church? Why are we bringing food to a sick neighbor? Why are we spending time celebrating this? It's a chance for us to go over with our kids all of the things that God has done. It's a way for us to remember how God has been faithful in our lives. So as you think about interacting with your family, what are some simple ways you can incorporate remembering with them? Maybe when you sit down to supper and, and you're finished, you, you talk about your day and the ways that God showed up. Maybe you read a few verses from the Bible and, and look at God's faithfulness. One thing that we do with our kids is just every night at bedtime uh, before we pray with them, we just all go around and we say one thing that we were thankful for in the day. Often with my three and a half year old, he's thankful that it was a nice day every single day, rain, snow or shine. <laughs> but it starts to get our kids thinking about thankfulness and, and thinking through the day to remember what God has done. One of the coolest ways that, that God provides for his people to remember is he tells them to celebrate. 
there are so many holidays in the Bible that we're often unaware of because they're kind of tucked away in the Old Testament law that we often like to avoid. But there's so many fun holidays there. God gives his people ways to celebrate. Often you, they go for a whole week and you're to get together and eat all these good foods. And in the celebrating, you're remembering what God has done. So we all have our holidays like Christmas and Easter, but we can even work on working up to those holidays through celebrating Advent or Lent and working our way to remembering the significant things that Jesus has done. You can go back to the Old Testament and look at some of the holidays there. One of my favorites is a holiday called Purim. And you find it in the book of Esther, and it's about how God has rescued his people. He saves his people through the things that Esther does. And so when you celebrate Purim, it's actually a costume party. Often it's a masquerade. You wear a mask, not, not this kind of mask that we're all used to, but this kind of a mask. And you do so because the, the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But it's clear that God is working behind the scenes to save his people. So you get dressed up, you eat good food and sugary foods because you're celebrating that God is faithful to save. And then you read through the story of Esther and you can find simplified versions for your kids. And you shake a noisemaker anytime that the bad guy's name is mentioned. And it's a really fun holiday that helps you remember the things that God has done. And as we take time to remember and celebrate, these traditions and these celebrations will actually work their way into the lives of our families. And what they will do is help us build our lives around God's timetable. And so that as we move throughout our year, we are remembering God's faithfulness at all different times and seeing the things that he's done. The last recommendation I have is simply that we start to hide God's word in our hearts. We start to think about memorizing parts of scripture so that we have it with us. I love learning about the background of, of the Bible and learning about some of the cultural things that went on during the time of Jesus because it helps me so much better understand what's going on in the scripture. And one of the things that's fascinated me is understanding the, the system of schooling during the time of Jesus because all of these families are quite committed to their kids knowing the Bible. So school at that time is really about memorizing scripture. So kids, boys and girls would start school at age five and they would start to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. These little babies starting to work on memorizing Genesis. And then by age 12, they would hopefully have all those books memorized. And then the boys would continue on in school and they'd work on memorizing the rest of the Old Testament. And then around age 15, these kids who are really committed to the scripture, they go to see if they can find a rabbi who will let them study with them, a teacher who, who they admire. And so they would go to the rabbi, ask if they could study with him, and then the rabbi would test them to see if they were good enough. And their test might be something like, okay, recite the book of Jeremiah. But these kids would do it. They had studied the scripture so long that it was hidden in their hearts. This is likely the system that we actually would have seen Jesus go through when he was young. And it's not a system I, I think we need to go back to, but I think there are some things that we can learn from this system. The fact that families are really committed to knowing God's word. Adults and kids alike are learning the Bible. 
We also see that kids could memorize and learn like crazy. Their minds can just soak that up. And I think we know that from our kids today. They can quote us TV shows and songs and they could quote us the Bible if we make that a priority. And we also see here that the disciples of Jesus, according to this system, are actually probably quite young. A lot of them are probably teenagers. And these teenagers are committed to God's word and then look at the things that they go and do for Jesus. It's incredible. My point here is that our kids can probably learn scripture much easier than we can. And it's probably something we can challenge them to do. I've recently started with my kids just teaching them the Lord's Prayer. So we'll pray that together at night, not every night, but, but every once in a while. And it's amazing how quickly it sinks into them and how they've even started to notice it coming up in songs or when they're hearing a sermon on a Sunday. They notice when the Lord's Prayer is quoted because it started to, to sink into their hearts. So pick a few verses, pick a chapter as a family that you guys want to read over and over together, that you want to work on memorizing so that as a family we start to be formed by the Word of God. The spiritual formation of our, of our kids and of our families is, it's a big task. <laughs> there's lots of things we can do and there's lots of areas where we might fall down. But I think the important thing is just that we start, that it's something that we pursue. And we remember that we serve a God who is gracious to us and that when we fail, he is always there to pick us back up again. We can look at the scripture and we can see that there is a book of the Bible named Ruth. And it's about a woman who was not part of God's people. She was from a country called Moab. And her family history begins with an incestuous relationship between a father and a daughter. Her family um, worshipped lots of false idols. And they actually tempt God's people, the Israelites, into all kinds of sexual sin. Ruth has a family history that is not good at all. And yet, God uses Ruth in his story of salvation. He brings her out, he brings her to a new place, and she ends up being the great-grandmother of David, who is remembered as Israel's greatest king. And then when you look in the New Testament, you see the name of Ruth mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. So God takes Ruth out of her poor family situation and actually uses her as a key person in his plan of salvation for the whole world. So God, yes, he gives us roles and responsibilities in our families. We are responsible to teach our kids to love the Lord with all that they are. We have that responsibility. And yet God is the one who ultimately does the saving. I could have my kids memorize the entire Bible, but that's not going to bring them into relationship with Jesus. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us, that ultimately He is the one who does it. He's the one who brings us back into right relationship with Him. I want to read you to close out a few lines from The Biggest Story, my favorite little book here, um, because I think it so clearly shows us how God takes responsibility and does the work for bringing us back to right relationship with him. So I'll show you the picture here and then I'm going to read to you. It says, it just didn't seem right that the one destined to crush the serpent would be crushed himself. So when Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, died on the cross that Friday afternoon, it seemed a shocking evil beyond belief.
and it was. The worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But it was also the best thing that's ever happened in the world, just as we would expect from God, and just as God planned it. We break promises, so God keeps his. We run from God, so he comes to us. We suffer for sin, so the Savior suffers for us. Our story is the story of God doing what we can't in order to make up for us doing what we shouldn't. The Christ suffers for our sin that we might share in his sinlessness. And so deliverers are born to die. Things fall apart so they can come together. God kicks his own people out of paradise and then does whatever it takes to bring them back again. What a beautiful story of salvation that our God gives to us. And what an honor we have to be able to teach the kids in our lives to follow his way because he is worthy at all times of all glory and all honor and all praise. So pray with me as I close this today. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have given us a, a great and amazing responsibility to help the kids in our lives know more about who you are. I pray for each of us as we go this week, Lord, that, that you would put on our hearts ways that we can begin to incorporate more of your big story into the lives of our families. We pray for the kids in our lives, Jesus, that they would be people who know you, whose identity is built on your story, and so that no matter what, we, what goes on in life, Lord, we can navigate those things because we are immersed in who you are and the things that you have done. Jesus, we bless you today and we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.